today on Ag News Daily. You know, that's been really great. We've probably got, with on-site registrations, probably roughly 450, 460 registrants or attendees. Um, it's a full room, so we're, we're pleased about that, and, and we've got a good lineup of speakers today and tomorrow. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joining you today from Omaha. I almost said Kansas City. I'm in Omaha today. Also joined by co-host Ashton Carr. Ashton, I am down here in Omaha for the Swine Livability Conference, which has been put off two years now. That is absolutely insane. And it's really just insane to think that we've been in the pandemic for almost two years now. It seems like I mean, we talked about this yesterday about how time is kind of going fast. But then again, when you look at it, it's been a while. That's true. Yes. So this has kind of been two years in the making and it's been really neat. I've gotten to hear a lot of insight. Of course, these episodes I'm recording down here will air on the Pig X podcast over the next couple of months. But there are folks from all over the world. There's five different countries here, as you're going to hear coming up here from Jason Ross, who's uh, one of the one of the factors driving this conference. About 450 people, 176 roughly businesses represented. And there's just a lot of discussion about the swine industry and what we have to do as a whole to continue to improve on swine mortality, really in all phases of production. So it's just been really interesting to get to hear some of the things going on down here. Um, And I wanted to share this quick fact before we hop into some news for today, because as Jason shared here during some remarks at the conference, we have seen really improved efficiency since about 1975 in the swine industry. So he shared this fact, and I just thought it was really interesting. So I wanted to share it with our listeners. But back in 1975, we had about 9 million sows on head. And those 9 million sows were contributing contributing about 1,500 pounds of pork per sow. So that's through, of course, the litter that they would raise. Today, we've got less sows on feed, about 6 million in the U.S., and they're producing on average 4,500 pounds of pork per sow. So really, I think that just highlights the efficiency we continue to bring forth in the industry. And that's really kind of what this conference is all about, is how do we continue to bring efficiency, but also how do we do that in a way that saves money for the producers and you know improves their bottom line? So I'm just learning a lot, Ashton. That is really interesting, Delaney. And I learned a couple of things today as well, but I'm going to kick things over to some of what I learned today, talking about cases and deaths from COVID-19 among workers at the leading U.S. meatpacking plants. It has come out that there were three times as many cases and deaths of COVID-19 as previously estimated, according to a report by the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis. The subcommittee surveyed major meatpackers, including Tyson, JBS, Cargill, National Beef, and Smithfield Foods. At those companies' plants, workers' cases of COVID-19 totaled 59,147 and deaths totaled 269 based on counts through January of this year. And the previous numbers that we had seen 
from these companies as of September 8th were 22,694 cases and 88 deaths. So the report by the subcommittee, there's more details that are supposed to be released later today, but I thought that those numbers were astounding. I mean, three times as many as we previously estimated. That's a lot of people that had contracted COVID-19. Yeah, it certainly is. But I think it's interesting, too, how they go about putting together these stats, because I think there's a lot of autonomy in how they're reported. I don't know that it's all being reported the same way across the board. I I would agree with you there, Delaney. I think even just as a college student, we have to report if we have COVID-19 to the university. And it's a little bit confusing there. So I can only imagine how confusing it would be as an employee. Absolutely. But Ashton, while we're talking about COVID-19, obviously that has set forward a chain of various events in our supply chain and messed up quite a few, quite a few industries, including, of course, the fertilizer industry. We've got some updated numbers here. I know producers probably hate that when I'm sharing these numbers because they just know that at the end of the day, that is uh, taking away from their bottom line. But retail fertilizer prices are continuing to move higher. And so here for the third week of October, we are continuing to see nitrogen prices surge higher and hydrous prices surge higher, as well as glyphosate prices, which of course not fertilizer, but as an input cost that some folks may have to uh, plan for their system. Nitrogen and glyphosate prices are posting anywhere from 100 to 300% price increases right now, which is just crazy that we are continuing to deal with this. And hydrous was up about 22% compared to September. And nitrogen fertilizer has had an average price of $940 per ton, which is the first time anhydrous has crossed the 900 ton level since November of 2008, Ashton. So it is just a problem that is continuing to unfurl here and is definitely one producers can't ignore this year heading into next year's crop year. Yeah, Delaney, I saw it yesterday um, and we shared an article similar to that one on our Ag News Daily accounts talking about the 300% increase. Like that's just absolutely crazy to me. I can't really wrap my head around the issues that we're seeing. No. And I think a lot of producers are experiencing that as well. It's just Hard to imagine that we are at this point and how do you get how do you get moved past this really? Exactly right, Delaney. I am looking to see if there's a light at the end of the tunnel, trying to see, you know, if we can get past this and what we need to do in order to prepare. And I think a lot of people are having those conversations right now. So that I don't think we're having a shortage of conversation. But one thing that we are also looking out on is cybersecurity. Over the past few weeks, we have reported on a few different cases of ag companies coming victim to ransomware attacks. And I actually attended a summit yesterday talking about cybersecurity ransomware attacks. So hopefully we can get some more information out to the audience about that. But George Grispos, who is an assistant professor with the University of Nebraska at Omaha, says that the exposed weaknesses in protecting ag data has left the entire industry vulnerable. He added that agriculture is a critical infrastructure and we've seen through the pandemic that if we cut out the food supply, 
we can quote, bring down a whole lot of other things with it. So he's saying that these cyber criminals are thinking if there is a farmer out there in a rural area that's not very tech savvy, they can take them out pretty easily and that's gonna cause a ripple effect in our supply chain. And Grispos says that the industry can be an easy target because more technology is being introduced at a rapid pace. He finally said that some attacks have indicated that foreign powers are responsible. So just another thing when it comes to cybersecurity. And I thought it was interesting, you know, we have so many different ag companies or tech companies, I should say, coming into play in the market. And I I think he makes a good point that with all these new technologies coming, you know, not many farmers or ag producers out there are are experts in this new technology. So, I mean, he makes a good point. It could be pretty easy to take advantage of some of those people. Yeah. And, you know, as we talk to higher level folks, this has been a recurring conversation is really the easiest way to, you know, infiltrate a country is through their food system. And so agriculture, unfortunately, we, you know, we're the good guys to some extent, but other countries see us as an easy way to infiltrate. And unfortunately, terrorists use it as a tool. And I don't think it's one that we're going to see go away. Yeah, Delaney, I feel like as a kid, I was scared of people with faces and, you know, that were actually tangible. But now I'm scared of the people that are hiding behind a few computer screens. So things have kind of taken a 180. Yes, absolutely. But Ashton, another thing that's taken a little bit of a 180 here is weather. We could see some snow hitting portions of, well, a couple different areas, I suppose, but mid- Midwest in particular. Next big system is going to come up here through Oklahoma and Arkansas, which could spread some significant continued rainfall here into the eastern Corn Belt, which is my neck of the woods. And we definitely don't need any more rain, but that could continue here until the end of the week. And I'm also seeing some, like I said, some rumors that we could see some winter weather, some snow, some frost as early as this weekend heading into the beginning of November. We're seeing a, basically a significant ridge on the West Coast that's going to bring some cold air here over the next 15 days into the Plains, the Midwest, and the East Coast. So time to put on those winter coats. Although I don't have my winter coat on today, Delaney, I actually turned the heat on for the first time in my apartment today. It is just so absolutely windy outside. Not that it's that cold, but the wind is really cold. Mm -hmm. So I did turn the heat on for the first time, but I think I'm going to have to change it back down to the cool setting a time or two before I actually leave it on there for the couple of winter months that we have. But Delaney, just have one other story that I wanted to share with you, and it's concerning the renewable fuels standard. Nine U.S. senators have requested a meeting with President Biden and some cabinet members to discuss the importance of the renewable fuel standard and biofuels as a key for the U.S. energy and climate agenda. In a letter to Biden, Senators Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst, John Thune, Mike Rounds, Roy Blunt, Jerry Morin, and Roger Marshall, Deb Fisher, and Ben Sace say that biofuels are a readily available energy solution that deserve full consideration to, quote, stem the recent increase in fuel prices, which have sped up inflation, but also for transportation emission reduction. So hopefully they do get to President Biden and we can see something come out from the renewable fuels standard. 
Yeah, I saw that piece of news as well, Ashton. So I'm glad that you shared that for today. But I have just one other piece of news here as we continue to see companies, I guess, posing their stand here when it comes to the vaccinations. Tyson has announced today, excuse me, announced yesterday that 96% of their workforce has been vaccinated for COVID-19, which of course comes after news that we've seen a lot of companies crack down and require vaccinations by their employees. But their president and CEO, Donnie King, said that Tyson employees are about 60,000 of them have been vaccinated since the company announced that program on August 3rd, that it would require all of their folks to be vaccinated by November 1st. So that deadline is coming right up and they are right on track. It sounds like here to get all of their folks vaccinated. Well, Delaney, that is interesting to hear. Of course, I am kind of wondering what their employees are thinking about that, just because I've heard a couple of different stories from people who have worked for companies that require vaccinations. And I'm just interested to see what happens there. Yes, I I don't know. I mean, I guess some, you know, people that are are working in, for example, the factory line or the chain, the processing portion of Tyson may not be agriculturalists, but those folks working at the top probably are. And a lot of folks in agriculture haven't been largely supportive of the vaccine. So it's interesting to see ag companies like this one take a stance. Absolutely, Delaney. But like I said, I am all out of news for today. How about we hop into the markets? Let's do that, Ashton. And as we take a look at markets today, we certainly had some green across the screen today. We are continuing to probably post out of that harvest low. It seems like the low has been posted for now and continuing to chug right along here. December corn up 13 and three quarters cents to close at 557 and a quarter. The March up 13 and three quarters, ending the day at 566 on the nose. In the sweeping pits today, the November contract up a penny and a quarter, closing the day out at 1239 and a quarter. January up two and a quarter cent, closing the day at 1249 and three quarters. Chicago wheat higher today as well with the December contract adding seven and a half cents, closing the day at 759 and three quarters. The March up seven and three quarters cents, ending the day up at 773. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we are seeing some mixed trade today after strength yesterday. Live cattle mostly higher and feeder cattle mostly lower. December live cattle up 12 and a half cents, closing at 131.57 and a half. February ending the day at 136.95, up some 57 and a half cents from yesterday. In feeder cattle, as I mentioned there, some weakness today as the November contract shed $1.30, closing the day at $158.47 and a half. The January down $1.65, closing the day out at $158.95. Now for my pork producing friends, since I am down here at a conference enjoying pork and listening to different facts and information about the industry. Unfortunately, we did not have a very strong day today in that industry. December lean hog closed 60 cents lower on the day, closing at 71.97 and a half. The February down 82 and a half cents, closing the day out at 74.32 and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures, putting back on some of the losses that they had earlier this week. November added 10 cents today, closing at 18.84. The Dees adding a dime as well to close at 18.70. Now, Ashton, let's turn it over to my conversation with Dr. Jason Ross of the Iowa Pork Industry Center. (laughs) 
Well, folks, as I mentioned yesterday on the podcast, I'm down here in Omaha today at the International Conference on Pig Survivability, chatting today with Dr. Jason Ross of the Iowa Pork Industry Center, who we've had on the podcast before and has really helped kind of drive this whole initiative, has helped be one of the leaders and the brains behind the Pig X podcast. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already. But Jason, this conference has been kind of two years in the making. Yeah, for sure. You know, we started, it was part of the original plan for this five-year project on improving pig livability. And we had planned originally to have it during 2020, and it got delayed, obviously, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And so we, yeah, it did turn into then a two-year plan to get it uh, to, to come to fruition today. So glad to have everybody here. It's been a great turnout. And Glad that it's happening. And so you shared a couple of facts early on this morning, or maybe it was Joel. Now I can't remember, but there are a lot of people here. There are a lot of different businesses represented in countries. Tell us a little bit about the breakdown of exhibitors. Yeah, so, yeah, so there are multiple countries represented. That's probably one thing where we wanted to have a, more of an international representation, but just with the international travel still being uh, quite restricted with, with COVID. You know, we're, I think we only had five different countries represented. But there's roughly 180 different businesses, representatives from different businesses, production companies, allied industries, um, organizations. So I think that's, you know, that's been really great. We've probably got with on-site registrations, probably roughly 450, 460 registrants or attendees. Um, it's a full room. So we're, we're pleased about that. And, and we've got a good lineup of speakers today and tomorrow. Yeah. And it feels good to be at an event where there is a full room and people are here and congregating and sharing ideas. Yes. Yeah. And that's a big, that's the, what we really want to accomplish, right? Is, is the exchange of ideas, the information, um, that we've developed in the, in the project so far, but also just getting, you know, leaders across the industry to come talk and share what their ideas in in this area, right? It's improving pig survivability is a non-compete issue in the swine industry. They, you know, producers across the U.S. industry recognize that it's something that they can do together better than they can do individually. And it's something that benefits the entire industry. So, Jason, as you look at the goal, the research, the grant, all of these pieces have been lining up, obviously, for this conference. But I want to talk a little bit about livability because that yeah. word gets thrown around a lot. But define that for us and how that's been kind of directing this grant. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you look at it as a whole, the production system as a whole and, and think about every pig that's born into on a, on a farm, right, from a sow, you know, roughly 30 percent of those aren't making it to market, right? They could they could die as a sow, they could die as a stillborn piglet during the farrowing process, they could die prior to being weaned from the sow. Um, you know, they could have a disease during the wean to finish growth phase. Um, there could, you know, there could be a death on the on the truck during transport to the harvest facility. So, you know, our goal, overall goal was to work towards understanding all of those pieces and how uh, you know, mortality occurs and what the underlying causes of mortality in those different phases of production are so that we can start developing and, and discovering and innovating to have, you know, solutions and mitigation strategies to um, reduce mortality and, and as a result, improve the livability of, a, of the swine industry and pigs in it. 
And there have been a lot of moving pieces for the past couple of years and kind of all of these ideas and research projects are culminating and now folks are coming together at this conference and being able to share some of those ideas. Talk to us a little bit about the goal behind putting on this conference. Yeah. So the goal of the conference, you know, we're about midway through the five-year project that's funded by the National Pork Board and the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research. And so the goal of having the conference, you know, the middle phase of the of the grant is to you know, get those exchange of ideas, have breakout sessions, you know, this afternoon and tomorrow where discussion can happen and have panel discussions and have people from different components of the industry share what they're doing, what they're trying, what's not working, what is working. Um, so that people, you know, our goal is that when the people that are here that can go back and have an influence in their organization, leave with a few good ideas that they can go and, and implement in their production system or, you know, and, and the other direction is important for us too, right? We want to hear from the industry, you know, what they're doing, what's working, what's not working so that our research and extension team can also come back with new ideas on what we need to, to prioritize in the last few years of the project. And we don't want to give too much away because we want people to go listen to the PigX podcast, which is going to feature a lot of the speakers at this event. But give our listeners a little insight into some of the topics and discussion points that are going to be presented at this conference this week. Yeah. So great question. You know, um, even this morning already, um, Bill Christensen from PIC talked about some of the global trends uh, that we're seeing in mortality across the entire uh, production system from a global standpoint. And Ron Ketchum. Um, from Swine Management Systems also shared his perspectives and, and his, you know, lifelong, uh, you know, observations and as a benchmarking and data analysis and uh, analyst in the industry, you know, some of his thoughts and perspectives. And actually, while we're doing this right now, Lee Schultz is sharing some work that uh, him and Russ, you can have been working on in developing a tool uh, that helps producers uh, calculate and determine the economic cost of mortality at different phases of production. So, you know, that's just a couple of the talks we have, you know, graduate students and trainees on the project will be presenting and sharing updates and kind of lightning talks throughout the, the next day and a half on, on their project specifically and what their observations have been. And then we also have, you know, several others from uh, industry leaders from around the, the country that are talking as well. Jason, light at the end of the tunnel, this grant gets through its lifespan. What are you hoping for the swine industry in doing this? Yeah, we hope, you know, really our team wants to have generated and, and uh, produced new information that people can use, right? And, and that's really the objective of research at its core, right, is to, to discover new information and innovate based on what we, what we already know and try to use, it, uh, use that information in a different way. And so we hope that, that that information is getting into uh, into producers' hands, right, and into their into their minds so that they can take that and care, uh, carry it out into into how how pigs are produced uh, in this country. So um, and around the and around the globe. So the other big thing that uh, is a real priority for this project is the students that we train in it. So we've got uh, close to a dozen graduate students have been involved with this project. Uh, over 40 undergraduate students have been involved with the project and other postgraduate trainees. And, you know, that's the, the research has a timeline, right? It's a five-year project, but that's the enduring part of it is the, 
the students that come through the programs that are focused and contributing to this project. And, you know, we've really prioritized their training so that they can go out and work in the industry and be influencers in the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah, you're really building up that next generation of folks that are going to be in the swine industry boots on the ground. So it's exciting to see you guys, including so many young people in this project. But Jason, before we kind of wrap things up for today, I know you guys have put together a lot of resources for producers at all levels, whether you work in swine management and swine systems or you are a producer. Talk to us a little bit about some of those resources and where folks can find them. Yeah, so we have a website for the project. It's uh, piglivability.com. Org. And if you go to that website, you can get links to our podcast, uh, which is our PigX podcast. You know, that's kind of a, uh, an established database of information as well. Um, there's fact sheets, there's short videos on the website, and that's really anything that comes out of this conference. The videos that we make out of this conference will also be housed on that website, too. So that's the, the quickest way to stay engaged is go to that website. You can also subscribe for updates and enter your email address on the website. And then when we put out new information, you know, we can make sure that we're alerting everybody that's involved. Fantastic. And folks, again, this conversation is going to continue over on the PigX podcast. So be sure to check that out. There are really some great conversations that have already happened this morning, Jason. So thank you so much for putting this event together. And thanks for joining yeah, us today. Thanks for being here, Delaney. Well, thanks again there to Jason for sitting down with you, Delaney, and chatting about the event. It definitely sounds like there are some cool things happening. So I am excited to see what else comes of the event. Of course, Delaney is going to keep having conversations, and those are going to air on the Pig X podcast, which you can listen to at globalagnetwork.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram while you're at it at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.